0: ab Tennessee paranormal hey y'all this is Hellfire from East Tennessee and you're listening to another episode of sinister sightings from the latest greatest best podcast of all time a paranormal chicks woohoo!
1: I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks.
0: Sinister Sightings 46.
1: And y'all just heard that awesome intro by Hellfire, who is freaking amazing. She's also the one who sent in that ambient story about her titties flapping in the wind,
0: which was legendary.
1: Yes, definitely. Also, that was Latin that she spoke in that intro. And I emailed her and I was like, that was Latin, right? She was like, yeah. I was like, I mean, I minored in it and I thought I understood a little bit of it. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) And you know the drill. If you want to introduce the Sinister Sightings or get an episode shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right, let's jump right in. This one is called Crying Baby. Hey, girls. When my son was about three months old, my friend and I were hanging out in the living room, which was on the other side of my son's closet in his room. We were just sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, we hear a baby crying. It freaked us the fuck out, because my son was at his grandma's house at the time.
1: Uh Uh-uh, uh-uh.
0: We also heard it a couple of times when he was there as well, but he was always fast asleep when we would go check on him.
1: No, 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 no.
0: Later on, my friends ended up moving in with us and took my son's room because it was only a two-bedroom, and he didn't sleep in there anyway. We cleaned out the room and found some things my other friend had stored at our house. The stuff was all her baby's items, including her pregnancy test and pacifiers. Um, I'm sorry, what? People keep a pregnancy test? It, there's pee on it.
1: (laughs) I mean, people keep their kids' teeth.
0: But there's not pee on them. I mean, that we know of.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: there's pee on it. is this
1: normal is this am i stupid is this is this something people do is this what we're doing now i mean maybe they they put it in a plastic bag like a ziploc
0: but um it's got pee on it
1: i don't know i'm never having a kid so i'm not keeping anything after
0: we found it we gave all of this stuff back and didn't ever hear the crying again But the kicker is that the baby had passed away about five months before my son was born. She was four months old when she passed.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Also, my friend that moved into the room told me that she felt a negative presence in the closet. I feel like baby Rain was trying to protect my son.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Creep up the great work, ladies. Love y'all. Emily.
1: Holy shit. Oh
0: my gosh. God, that's heartbreaking. I definitely believe that.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, you know, that reminds me of that story I did Mm -hmm. about the apartment where, like, the cousin
0: was there because Uh it was protecting because it was like a poltergeist or something there.
1: Did I make that last part? Okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. Hey, girls. This is the second time writing into you guys, and hopefully, you got my first story. If not, then I'll resend it later but we did. We read it last week. Thank you for being some funny and weird girls that know exactly what to talk about and what I love to hear. Y'all are great. Plus, the more cussing, the better. LOL. I apologize if this is a long one, but it's interesting and trippy. Anyways, one day, me and my boyfriend at the time, husband now, were driving around 11 p.m. to his house from my house about an hour away. Me and him love paranormal shit, Unexplainable shit, UFO shit, etc. When we go on far drives, we always like to look up in the sky hoping one day we will see something crazy. Well, one day our wish came true. Well, kinda. As we were driving that night, I was looking up and saw some strange lights in the sky that didn't look like an airplane, jet, helicopter, nothing. I told my boyfriend and he saw them too, so he started driving slower to try and see better. I started recording on Snapchat because as we were getting closer to them, I swear there were three lights in a triangle shape. I was so excited because I said, Yes, I'm recording this and I'll have proof of what we had seen. When I was done recording, I swear I saved the video before posting just in case. We got off on the following exit to put gas, and you could still kind of see the flying object. And what do you know, the damn video was gone. Like, I never recorded anything. Not even like when you try and post a video or a picture and sometimes it'll say it wasn't able to post or something. Nope, just gone. Remember I said I saved it before posting it? Well, I go through all my videos on my phone and nothing. Like, what the fuck? Just deleted off of my phone. What type of Illuminati shit? I told my boyfriend and he tripped out too because he saw me record and post and also save it. We brushed it off, and later when we're closer to his home, we see the bright light again, like a star up in the sky, but really bright though. As we're staring at it, and I bring my phone out to record, since it was abnormal in that area, it just vanishes. Like, bye, Felicia. So we were tripping out that whole damn night. Who knows what it was? Sorry again for the long ass story, but I thought it was interesting since I love hearing UFO stories. Creep it real ladies and follow me on Instagram underscore wonder underscore woman with two N's underscore XOXO Esme. Wow. That's crazy. Just fucking just
0: deleted that shit
1: right off. Mm hmm. You know that Black Eyed Peas song? It's like, I'm so 3008, you're so 2000 and late. Yeah. It's like, they're light years ahead of us. Yeah. They're like, Snapchat was so 2019. Also, how do you get such a good resolution on Snapchat? Because all my shit looks grainy as
0: fuck. That's the damn truth. Or, I don't know, I always find a way to fuck it up.
1: Mm-hmm. Me too.
0: Okay. The next one says, Hey guys, I'm new to the podcast and absolutely love you both. That definitely should mean a lot coming from me because I spend 40 hours a week at work listening to podcasts and I'm definitely picky. I love the community you guys have.
1: Thank you so much. That means so freaking much.
0: So anytime I hear a Sinister Sightings episode, I literally get so thankful that I do not have anything super freaky to submit and really hope that I never do. However, I do have something to share that confuses me to this day that happened a few years ago after my daughter was born. I try to tell myself it was just a dream because to me it's super odd and pretty random, but I'm not quite sure about that. I had my baby young and lived at my parents' house. For some reason, even to this day, I get freaked out there, but really have no reason to considering nothing has happened before. Anyways, The baby's bassinet was right by my bed. I slept with the nightlight so I could see her better. She was about three months old and started stirring a little bit. And when I opened my eyes, I saw what looked like an orb floating above the end of my bed. I was so startled that I couldn't think to do anything but kick it. And just barely. Like, when I say kick it, I mean with the tippy top of my big toe. Oh. (laughs) That was a very good alliteration.
1: It was. It was.
0: I grabbed my baby and slept in my mom's room for months.
1: Do you remember... Oh, never mind. You never watched Dana fucking Stasia. But there's this one part where Rasputin has his little sidekick, and he goes, and then I kick her, sir. And that's all I can think about with her tippy-top big toe.
0: <laughs> my mom said that my great-grandmother wrote about something similar in a journal about a spirit visiting my grandfather when he was a baby. And I sometimes wonder if it could have been her coming to meet my baby. Other than that, it's never happened again, which I'm totally fine with. I know it's not super scary, but still thought I would share. Thanks again for all your time and content and for making my workday much better. Um, that sounds super scary to me. Uh, Yeah. Anything in your room that's not supposed to be there in the middle of the night is fucking scary.
1: Yes. Uh, yes. Especially if you have a baby. Like, you're going to go into mama bear mode and be like, and then I kick her.
0: Um, especially if it's fucking disturbing your sleep. Fuck the baby. Don't wake me <laughs> up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Oh,
0: God. Priority. Just kidding, sort
1: of. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, the baby's going to be fucking up your sleep.
0: Well, yeah, you don't need any added sleeplessness from a fucking flying orb.
1: (laughs) This next one is titled Two Ghosts, One House. Now that's a video I would watch. Hey, Donna and Carrie, when I stumbled upon your podcast, I didn't realize how much I was going to love it. I legit laugh out loud sometimes at stories in the peanut gallery during the stories. (laughs) Y'all make my day at work go by so much faster. Thank God I can wear headphones at work. I may have also gotten a couple of other co-workers to listen to the podcast now. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now onto my creepy story. Dun, dun, dun. My friend, we worked together, and I were hanging out at her house one Saturday afternoon when the motion-activated lights turned on in one of the two back bedrooms. Now, the creepy part is that her dog was hanging out there with us, and her cats were in her bedroom. I mentioned the light to her, and her response, Oh, that's a ghost in the back bedroom. Like, hold up, wait, what? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. 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 She then went on to tell me that he isn't the only spirit in her home. There are actually two. Holy shit. One is her dad's great-aunt, Arnette, who was a psychic medium a long time ago. Sandy, my friend, inherited two items of particular importance of Arnett's. One is an old rocking chair and the other is an old Buddha statue that she would use to put herself into trances. Those objects cannot be in the same room or else creepy shit happens. Like the rocking chair rocking itself. I for sure introduced myself to Arnett after being told that. My thought is that it can't hurt to be polite to unknown spirits. The second ghost in her house is one she actually doesn't know the name of, but she knows it's male. She told me that a couple of different times, friends would stay over after drinking a bit too much wine. And if it was a couple, like a guy and a girl, that the guy would end up getting woken up in the middle of the night by a voice whispering, Hey, don't mess with her. (gasps) Sandy and I both agree that it sounds like an older brother sort of thing. Like, hey, don't hurt her or I'll mess you up kind of thread. Not harmful, just protective. But he messes with crap all the time. She has an agreement with him that he stays in the spare bedroom, the one without the motion sensor lights. And she doesn't exercise his ass. She's found candles lying next to their candlesticks in that back bedroom, and it's not like the candles got knocked out. They are literally lying next to the holder as if they were pulled out and placed carefully next to the base, touching it, in fact. Hmm. Fuck that. It's a little odd to feel like you're being watched and then have it confirmed, but she has a pretty good handle on them, so I don't feel apprehensive, just aware. Hopefully that all made sense, as I'm not the best writer ever. I'll send in more stories later. I live in Tampa, so I've got a few about Ybor City, some paranormal, some true crime, including some organized crime. Oh yes. Send it in. (coughs) Mafia.
0: (coughs) Oh, she says that? Yeah. Oh, funny. (laughs)
1: Creep it real, Sarah.
0: Wow. How are you going to be so nonchalant, like, oh, yeah, that's just my ghost?
1: Right? No.
0: I mean, I feel like... If you have a ghost, you should have to, like, make somebody sign a waiver or some shit. Like, let a girl know. Mm-hmm. Don't just be like, oh, that's the friendly house ghost. Oh, right. by the way, there's two of them. Okay. This one is called The World Sucks. Get comfy. Hey, ladies. Here's a fun first. This story comes with a trigger warning. This story is of the murder of a three-year-old, and it's pretty bad. The Upside, you'll be the second podcast ever to talk about this case, which is a gross injustice that I don't understand since this got pretty significant media coverage. Hell, it was on Nancy Grace, America's Most Wanted, and Cold Case Files. The only existing coverage before you air this is episode 17 of the Fiercely Altered Perspective podcast, which doesn't seem to be an active podcast anymore. In doing research to make sure I got all the details right for this story, I discovered that some things completely contradict themselves depending on the source. I've read at least 12 news reports, a lawsuit, an appellate court decision because I couldn't find the original court documents. I think I have to pay for them. Wikipedia, various blog posts that I think made some stuff up wholesale and wandered down a trail of completely different murder that's in the same area and is completely insane and which has no news coverage despite the fact it's insane. The on-topic crazy thing is, I honestly think some of the details in the appellate court decision don't match the actual facts. Which means some of the details in the original trial don't match the facts. The details wouldn't have had any impact on the verdict and weren't wrong exactly exactly. But it makes me wonder if the state had to massage some of the details in order to fit the only testimony they could put on the stand. I've tried to keep out the more ridiculous theories, but I've had to point out where the stories differ. I've taken a five-hour, it's 3 a.m., and I think Ancient Aliens might be on Netflix in the background, even though I was just watching the great British Bake Off internet research bullet for the good of podcast posterity. And I have a horrible migraine as a side effect from my flu vaccine yesterday. So be goddamn if my suffering ends up for naught. If anyone else ever needs to cover this case, they're either going to have to do a serial level real life investigation or they can just listen to this episode of your podcast. This is the scoop, y'all. So strap in because the world is shit and I've been swimming in it for five hours.
1: Woo. (laughs) Okay.
0: Continue. So, this is a story of precious dough. Cue all your Missouri and Kansas and maybe Oklahoma listeners screaming with rage and throwing their phones across the room and getting fired or pulled over on the highway or whatever. On April 28, 2001... The small, naked, headless body of an African-American girl estimated to be between the ages of four and six was found not far inside a wooded area in Kansas City, Missouri, by two beat cops who were looking for an elderly man who had wandered away from his son's house. Two days later, they found her head nearby in the woods, wrapped in a trash bag. The body showed signs of a severe beating, and an ashtray was found that matched even more severe injuries on the girl's head.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Everyone was horrified, of course. The police immediately created a sketch of what the girl might have looked like and assumed someone would quickly come forward, a family, a church member, maybe, or a daycare teacher. The community rallied around the girl, handing out flyers everywhere and keeping her story alive in the media. Days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months, and months into four years. Four years. Police kept making sketches, busts, and computerized images, and the case got national media attention. I think she was even on Nancy Grace. It was surprising to see so much attention and outrage over the murder of a child who wasn't blonde-haired and blue-eyed. Definitely would be nice if that turned into the status quo, but that's a rant that doesn't quite fit the theme of this podcast. On May fifth, two 2005, the police revealed that the grandfather of her murderer had come forward to identify her. We'll go back to that detail in a bit, so put a pin in it. The girl's name had been Precious Doe for four years. For only three years, her name had been Erica Green. She was Precious Doe longer than she was Erica Green.
1: Oh my gosh. That is, that's heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: Erica Michelle Marie Green was born in an Oklahoma prison hospital or local children's hospital under state custody. The point is that her mom was incarcerated at the time of the birth. She was born on May 15, 1997, to Michelle Green, later Michelle Johnson, when she married a massively swollen and infected asshole named Harold Johnson. The Department of Corrections handed Erica over to Betty Brown, a family friend, and washed their hands of her. As a spokesperson for the Oklahoma DOC at the time, Jerry Massey, said to reporters, he literally said this. This is a quote. When it comes to situations like this, we don't do a damn thing. No, seriously, that's a quote. The DOC, which sidebar for people not from the states, that's the Department of Corrections. The DOC let their official spokesperson say those words when asked about a dead kid who was born in their care. And because the DOC doesn't do a damn thing, they didn't notify the Department of Human Services. It wouldn't have mattered even if they did do a damn thing, though, because the spokesperson for the DHS said, Hold on to your butts. Here comes another direct quote. We don't deal with that. That meaning babies born in prison. For serious.
1: I can't even with this.
0: Luckily for Michelle's eight other children, they had not been born in prison and were accounted for in the foster system, most living with family members. When Erica was three years old, her mother was released from prison. The details of how Erica ended up back in her custody are convoluted here again, but regardless of the circumstances, Michelle ended up taking Erica with her and and her boyfriend, the massively swollen and infected asshole, Harold, to live with Harold's cousin in Kansas City, Missouri in early April 2001. The full story of her short life and horrible death in Kansas City differ wildly depending on what you're reading. The pathologist reports, the mother's testimony against her then-husband, relatives' recollections, media reports, police statements, etc. Nothing changes the fact that Erica ended up beaten beyond comprehension, beheaded, and dumped in the woods. Michelle took a plea deal and testified against the swollen asshole. She said he was high on PCP one night and got angry that Erica wouldn't stay in bed and go to sleep. According to Erica's mother, Erica was standing next to the bed when Harold hauled off and just fucking kicked her in the head so hard that she hit the floor and never woke up. What the fuck? Her testimony is that Erica lived up to two days. The pathologist report said it was more like 15 hours. 15 hours can seem like two days when you're jacked up on PCP, I guess. Whether two days or 15 hours, she doesn't dispute that she and Harold made the conscious choice not to seek medical help for Erica. She explained that this was because she and Harold both had warrants against them and they were afraid of going back to jail. Yeah, so let that inhumanity sink in. Or don't. Probably don't. Go watch Bake Off for a few hours. Okay, welcome back to help. I hope Cake Week was sufficiently calming. Michelle claims that Harold only kicked Erica once, but the damage to her body, along with the wounds matching the ashtray, told a different story. The appellate court decision states the forensic pathologist testified that her injuries were such that she would have survived had they gotten her immediate help. When Erica finally died, or appeared to have died depending on the report you believe, Michelle and Harold removed her from the house. According to the cousin they were living with, they put her in a stroller and said she was asleep and they were going for a walk. According to the Court of Appeals ruling, they took her body out of a window. I don't see why the cousin would make this story up, so I think the whole window thing was just to simplify things for the jury. Every account agrees that Harold Johnson brought a pair of hedge clippers with him, stripped Erica naked so she couldn't be identified by her clothes, and then cut her head off with the hedge clippers.
1: What? Oh my, what?
0: Here's the horrific detail that I always heard reported and believed, but discovered it's directly discounted by the forensic pathologist who performed her autopsy. Everything has always said she was alive until he cut her head off. The official appellate court record states that the forensic pathologist and a pediatric neurosurgeon agreed that the cause of death was a closed head injury, though, and that the failure to seek medical intervention for the head injury is the cause of death. Christ, this story is so long. I'm sorry. So, I said at the beginning her head was found in the woods two days after her body, that was because Michelle and Harold originally wrapped it in a trash bag and threw it in a local church dumpster. They retrieved it and threw it in the woods later when Michelle was worried that the church members would smell it.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Again, go watch Bake Off for a bit or take a shower or play with a kitten. Okay, now we've gotten through bread week and borrowed our neighbor's kitten. Remember when I said to put a pin in the bleeding asshole's grandpa? Well, we're back. And we're very confused. At some point in this four-year nightmare, he told Harold that Precious Doe looked like Erica and accused him of the murder. Harold admitted to it, saying it was an accident. We have absolutely no clue when this conversation took place. In the press, he comes across as a frustrated do-gooder who sent tips to the Kansas City police for over a year but couldn't get anyone to pay attention to him. In the official appellate court decision, it doesn't state when he found out, but it says he didn't call in any tips until 2005, and that was only because he, quote, wanted people to know the truth about who Precious Doe was before he should die. So that to me sounds like someone who's been sitting on that knowledge for a while and only spoke up because he realized the truth would die with him. Some reports say he got sick of being brushed off by police and instead gave the tip to Kansas City activists, which was the only reason Kansas City Police Department took the tip seriously. An interesting fact is that he couldn't received the crime stoppers reward because the tip didn't come through whatever means crime stoppers requires regardless of how the tip was received he received a $14,000 reward from the Kansas City activist group protested for the rest of his life that he had been ignored by Kansas City Police Department for over a year and died in 2010 This is one situation in which I think the trial testimony is incorrect. It makes him sound like a villain, but I would hope someone would have filed some sort of charges against him if he'd been withholding that information for years and only came forward out of some false sense of nobility. In any case, we have to acknowledge that he's the only reason Erica has a name and something resembling justice. As I said earlier, her mom took a plea in exchange for her testimony against Harold. She was sentenced to 25 years. A jury took three hours to return a guilty verdict against Harold. He received life without parole. He appealed at least twice, and it's very fun to see him floundering around for anything that might stick. In 2013, a lawsuit in Oklahoma brought by Erica's father, who has for some reason been completely absent until this point in the story, resulted in the creation of Erica's Rule, which forces the Department of Corrections to tell the Department of Human Services when a baby is born to a prisoner. And then DHS has to ensure safe placement of the baby and treat the case like any other placement. Guys, it took a lawsuit in response to a murder to create a rule to force two state departments to give a shit about humans. IDKY, that surprises me at this point. Okay, I think that's it. There are contradictions galore, and I'm sure someone will have some comments disputing something in here or bringing up an important detail I've left out because it's now 4.50 a.m., and I'm mad as fuck and still have a migraine, and I'm just like so over humanity right now. Yeah, so usually I'm funny, but I gotta tell you, I got nothing for this one. Pineapple pen? Go watch Bake Off. It's probably pudding week, and we Americans will get to try to wrap our heads around what exactly a pudding is in Britain instead of wrapping our heads around this horrible murder. Love you, cat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whoa, that was so heavy and a lot of words, but so fucking heavy. Fuck them hedge clippers i i that's how small she was how in
0: the actual fuck was dhs not involved in a child being born in the doc i i don't know that that is like that should like that should be one of their main
1: things yeah i hate when people attack and kill kids what anyway But for them acting like kids. Yeah. Like that just goes right over me. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck?
0: She's three. Of course she doesn't want to go to bed when she sees that you're up and doing shit.
1: Yeah. And it was probably like fucking eight o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you fucking kicked her in the head. Who does that? Oh, the same person who uses hedge clippers.
0: Do you know how many things I've kicked in my life? A curb. On accident, when I tripped.
1: That's probably it. A curb.
0: (laughs) I mean, who kicks someone?
1: I mean, I kicked your ass in those board games.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's normal.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's figurative, not literal. I don't have that range of motion.
0: I tell you what, that made my heart heavy.
1: It really did. This next one is called What the Orb was that? I have camped and hiked in the wilds of Utah my whole life. All these years spent in the woods adventuring, and I've only had one experience that has left me spooked. My husband and I were camping with some friends on a very clear, starry night near Strawberry Reservoir. For some context, Strawberry is located halfway between the Wasatch Front and the Uintah Basin. Remember what spooky place is located in the Uintah Basin? Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. All right, back to the story. It was late, about midnight. Kids were all tucked away in the trailer sleeping. The adults were outside enjoying a fire and laughs, and this green glowing ball about the size of a softball came out of the trees. It was about 20 feet up in the air. It didn't make any noise, and it passed through the air, going east to west at a speed between zoom and afloat. I point out the speed because at first I thought it was like a shooting star, but the speed and the lack of a light trail had me guessing otherwise. I decided not to acknowledge it because it had to be some flute thing, like, it's a stretch, but maybe the fire threw out some weird giant green spark? Around 10 minutes later, the green ball came back from the west And passed quicker and a bit higher up. At that point, the hairs on my whole body were standing up and my husband said, What the fuck is that? Boom. It vanished. Just disappeared before it got to the trees. I saw it. It went by twice, I said. What did you see? Was it a green light about 10 minutes ago? A friend asked. I told him, yeah, but it went by and came back. The hairs on my arms still standing on end, being completely creeped out and feeling watched. We talked back and forth for a few minutes about what it could be, but all of us being avid outdoors people had no good explanations. Shooting stars don't pass and come back. What in the world was that? We put the fire out and we called it a night because none of us felt comfortable standing out in the open anymore. A few hours later, the creeped out feeling faded, but I still couldn't sleep. Nothing else happened, thank goodness. I wonder if the thing actually left or just went invisible and cruised around us for a while. We haven't been back to that camping spot. I love all things paranormal, but when the stories you know about colored orbs in the sky and with dogs being liquefied, you pick a new camping spot. If you Google green lights in the sky, the pictures are pretty accurate. The only difference is what we saw did not have a trail behind it. It was just a glowing softball passing through camp. Keep your eyes to the sky, fellow creepsters. Rachel. Wow. Holy shit. Holy shit. And you know, when I did the Skinwalker Ranch, I think I talked about green and blue orbs.
0: I think you did. Okay, this one is love, death, and chocolate. Hi, ladies. First off, I absolutely adore the podcast. Listening to YouTube banter back and forth always puts a smile on my face and helps me get through my long, boring days staring at my computer screen. I have binged all the Sinister Sightings episodes, even though I haven't been able to sleep with the lights off since I first found the podcast a few months ago. The story I want to share is quite mild by most standards. However, for me, the experience left a lasting impression and proof that nothing can extinguish a brother's love, not even death. I'll start by giving a little background for context. When I first met my husband, I knew he was very close with his family. This was nothing out of the ordinary for me. We're both Mexican and Mexican people place a very high value on our families and the time we spend with them. While we dated, he often spoke of his brother, Cesar. Cesar, by all accounts, was a vibrant guy. Fun-loving, mischievous, always down for a good time. Because they were the two youngest siblings in their family of 10, my hubs and Cesar were very close and shared a special bond. Cesar was unfortunately diagnosed with colon cancer at the age of 28 and passed only a few months later. I never had the opportunity to meet him, but I had heard so many stories about him that I felt like I knew him in a way. Not long after he passed, I found an old photograph of my ex with Cesar and an older brother of theirs. I had the photograph enlarged and framed and gave it to my then boyfriend. As time marched on, the hubs and I dated, get engaged, got married. It was a whirlwind romance, and it all happened fairly soon after Cesar had passed away. Not long after we married, the Hubs began working out of town. He's a plumber by trade and often had to travel to where the work was. During this time, he would leave for work Monday mornings and return Friday nights. During the week, I would be at home by myself. While I was on my own, I would busy myself setting up the house. We had just moved into our first home and were still unpacking. The large picture of the brothers I had given him was given a spot in the hallway leading to the master bedroom. Things went on without incident for a while until one day I returned home from work and immediately got an uneasy feeling upon walking through the door. It was one of those feelings like the one you get when you can't remember if you left the stove on or not. Anyway, I tried to ignore it and busied myself with the housework. As soon as the afternoon gave way to evening, the feeling never went away. It got stronger and stronger. To the point, I called my mother to make sure everything was okay. Everything's fine, my mother assured me. She paused for a second and then added, Pay attention to your intuition, mijo. It will never let you down. I hung up on the phone and turned on the TV to distract myself. My mother's words still in my head. Before long, I decided to go to bed. I called my husband. It was our nightly routine while he was out of town and then settled in to drift off. The next thing I know, I'm startled awake by a loud bang. I sat straight up in bed, unsure if I actually heard it or if it was a dream. Then, as if to confirm, I heard another bang, not as loud as the first, but still got my attention. After a few moments, I look at the clock and it reads 3:15 a.m. So I decided to get up and investigate. 3 a.m. It's that time. Mm -hmm. I go out into the hall and as my eyes adjust to the darkness of the hall, I see something on the floor. It takes seconds to register that it was the picture of the brothers. It was lying on the floor opposite the wall it was supposed to be on. I switch on the lights because there is no way that picture could have fallen. I had it secured to the wall with wall anchors, not to mention it was too far away from the wall it had been hanging on. As I approached it, I noticed that not only is the picture on the floor, so is the anchor that had secured it to the wall. There was also a chunk of plaster missing from the wall where the anchor had once been. It was as if someone had yanked the picture with great force and hurled it to the opposite wall. This should have terrified me, but for some reason, I wasn't frightened. As I picked up the picture, I suddenly got the odd sensation that I was not alone. I knew I was the only person in the house that had a pulse, But I felt as if someone was standing on all sides of me. Again, I normally would be screaming bloody murder and setting fire to the whole damn house, but I did not feel threatened. I then began to notice an aroma. It was familiar and pleasant. I recognized chocolate and cinnamon. I then realized it was the smell of Mexican hot chocolate. At first I thought I was having a stroke, but then I recalled a story my hubs told me about how Cesar loved Mexican hot chocolate so much that he once snuck an entire package of it from their grandmother's kitchen, not knowing that it came in hard, bitter bricks that had to be melted down and mixed with hot milk and sugar before becoming the delicious, creamy drink he loved. At that point, there was no doubt in my mind I knew it was Cesar. He was trying to get my attention and had been all night. That's when I noticed the source of the second bang I heard. It was a smaller framed picture of my husband that I kept in the middle of the coffee table. It was on the floor in front of the television, five feet away from where it should have been. Don't ask me how or why, but I got the feeling I was being warned about something. I took a deep breath and said out loud, Cesar, your brother's not here. I cannot help him right now. If he's in trouble, you have to go to him. Thank you for the warning. I picked up the picture, placed it back on the table, and then went back to bed. I was about to drift off again when I was woken up once more, this time by my phone ringing. I look at the clock, and it's 4 a.m. I see that it's the hub's calling, so I answer. He is audibly shaken, When he tells me his story, he tells me that after we spoke, he went to bed and fell asleep when suddenly he's jolted awake from a deep sleep by a familiar voice in his ear that shouts, get up or you'll drown. He says that he jumped into an upright position and began to cough. That's when he noticed that blood was pouring from his nose and that he was coughing up blood that had flowed into his windpipe as he slept.
1: Oh my
0: God. He tells me that as he was making his way over to the hotel room sink in the mirror for a brief second, he caught a glimpse of his brother Cesar standing by his bed. Oh my gosh. I then told him of my own experience And we both got very emotional. As we know, that he would likely have drowned in his own blood that night had it not been for his brother who woke him.
1: Fucking chills.
0: My husband and I have since divorced but remain good friends. We often talk about that night, and I once wondered to him why Cesar came to me first since I had never met him. It was then that he told me that before he died... Right when we first began dating, he had shown Cesar a picture of me on his phone, saying that I was the one he was going to marry because he felt safe with me. I guess Cesar was making sure I was taking good care of his brother. Sorry it's so long, but I hope you liked it. Creep it real and don't get scared, Javier.
1: Oh my gosh. Whoa, these stories were so
0: powerful. Yes. I am like all in my feels with these stories.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh, that was such a good one to end on. The power of sibling love. Yes. Oh my gosh. For Javier to know, like, to say, I can't help him, you have to go to him. And he did. Yeah. Well, and like, I don't know,
0: like, how, like, that level of intuition to be like, this is what you're trying to tell me. Because if I, I would have been like, m- the whole time in the story, I was like, is he trying to tell you to get out of the house? Like, there's someone yeah. there. If you feel like you're not alone, does that mean because there's someone there? Right. But really, it was him the whole time. Y'all,
1: y'all are smarter than I am.
0: You're smarter than we are. You're better writers than we are.
1: Definitely.
0: I'm sure you would probably read them
1: better than we do.
0: Definitely. I mean, y'all get the edited version, so just think oh. of how bad we really do oh, it, Lord. So, thank y'all so much for sending those stories in. We want them all. Keep sending them in. Paranormal, true crime, odd things that happen, literally anything.
1: Creepy things your kids say.
0: Ambient stories. We all know Donna wants those. And Haunted Bridge stories. Haunted Bridges. She's begging for them. And, you know, y'all have been posting some good stories in the Facebook group, and we always say send them in. So it doesn't have to be a long story. Like, it could be like a, hey, this was so weird and this happened the other day. Just thought you should know kind of thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. If you don't know
0: where to send them in, though, send them in to us at our email, chicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and don't, don't get scared. scared.